told me be at the lounge around 6 p.m. sharp. I'm late to everything, so I should set an alarm. Around here is not safe when the street lights off. I should be home, not for fuck it, I guess. No. And we're back. Burning Daylight Podcast. What up, everyone listening? My name is Ben Beal. This podcast is brought to you by Two Lost Distribution. Go to twolost.com. Go peep that shit. Shout out Two Lost. I'm here with my homie Max. How we doing? Yeah, we're chilling. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Max. Uh, Max Green. I'm from San Diego, but I've been in LA for the last six years. East LA in the fucking house. I uh, <laughs> I'm a writer producer out here, um, and run a bunch of different artist projects. Uh, the main being Urchin. It's my main lo-fi project that I've been really active with le- recently. And then I come from the band world. So I have a band called Inspired in the Sleep that we're, uh, we've played a lot over the years. And then I have a pop project called for the Max Green name. So. We're, and it's all fire. So go peep that anywhere where music is heard. Uh, I met Max because uh, I run an independent... I'm <coughs> sorry, choked up. I run an independent label called Birdhouse. And we do a lot of uh, lo-fi hip-hop projects. And one of the best submissions that I think we got... Uh, was from this dude right here. He sent a song called The Seeds, and it popped the fuck off. It's doing it amazing. Did, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, second I heard that, though. It's I got was, such a spring vibe to it, and I think we put it, it out came, in the yeah. spring. Yeah. It was the perfect time for it to drop. It was just like breath of fresh air, honestly. That's exactly like how I described the song. But second I moved out to L.A., I knew Max was out here, so we linked up. We did a couple sessions. You should. Are we going to hear that, uh, that song soon? Dude, we have to finish that yeah, fucking we, song. Yeah, we have to. It's so fucking good. <laughs> Um, maybe by the the key change. We have a key change. Uh, fuck. Any any song with like a, a fire like pitch shift always hits. Yeah. Uh, wait one sec. Let me turn this monitor off. Oh, it's off. Never mind. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so we've been cooking up. You live like how long? Ten minutes away from me. Uh, navigate. It was twelve minutes to get here. What, what's house. your address? I'm at ten eighteen. No, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't <laughs> okay. say it. Send me mail. I don't, care. <laughs> I don't have any gear at the house. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, I live over in Echo Park off uh, Sunset and Coronado, pretty close to the lake, pretty close to Echo. Uh, <laughs> to the Echo. Yeah, you've been there a couple of times. You've yeah, been to, yeah, have yeah. you been to the Echo and the Echoplex? The the people listening aren't going to know that you weren't just saying like the Echo as a joke because it's Echo Park. Like the Echo is a, a club there, right? It's a venue. Yeah, it's it's one of the like yeah most prominent like LA venues. I would say a lot of it's. I've seen so many insane acts there. And they they they've booked out a lot of like what I would say is the LA scene, a lot you know. Um, what what scene would you say? Because like there there have been a million that are oh so totally yeah oh totally there's but what what's like the niche? well all kinds of scenes like they'll freaking the shows that they book are all all it's over cottage the board. core. There's a big thing in Echo Park where there's <laughs> a lot of like, kind of like '60s influence projects like and psych rock and stuff like that and. I used to play in some bands and hang out with some people in that world too. So, but that's so like sick. the scene where you go out and you're just like, you think you're looking hip that night, and then someone's, you know, you never have the best fit in the room. In LA. <laughs> you're it's never impossible. gonna win the fit game. And the the weirdest part about it is Los Angeles. Like, the people here aren't dropping. I mean, there are people that are dropping ridiculous amounts of money on their fits, but some of the best dressed people I know are wearing like. The thrifts, yeah, like Carhartt jeans from 1963. Yeah, some uh, some Grateful Dead shirt that they found at the bottom of a pile at the Goodwill, and then the fits all slap. Yeah, yeah. I, I can never up my game enough to the point where one of these fashion people out here are gonna. 
be like, good good job, Ben. You you dressed well today. Like I, I'll always be mediocre in these music <laughs> venues. Yeah. I went to this spot the other night. Um, it's in Highland Park. It's like five minutes away from here. I I, I swear. To, I, was, I think I told you I used to live in Highland Park too. It, it was a spot with all the vinyls on the wall. It's that. Bar. Uh, uh, it's gold. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gold something. Uh, I've been there once a long time ago. Gold it's, room, gold room. I want to say maybe. Or like gold be. train. It's or right next like to that? the. Uh, it's right next to Highland Bowl. Like the, yeah, the, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yo, I uh, swear I was the worst dressed person in the entire place, and I was <laughs> yeah. confident. I walked out of the crib. That Figueroa side of Highland Park is super. It's fun. nice. Yeah, that's yeah. where I get my. Uh, I started cooking up recently because when you're in Los Angeles, it's so easy to just order food every night. Oh, There's fuck, so, yeah. yeah. I had to erase Uber Eats. I told myself, New Year's resolution in March. I'm cooking now. Got a little <laughs> air fryer. Got a rice cooker. I've been on my shit. But there's a spot there, the the cookbook store, I think it's called, or a cookbook market. Yeah, uh, one of my really good friends, Sam, lives down the street from me, uh, used to work there. And no now, way. Now he does sound at the, the Troubadour. Well, they have. And I tell you what, when they have Christmas parties at their place, they had all the best shit. Man. Yeah, yeah, of course. It was <laughs> like... Super small. It's like the size of this room. If you don't know what we're in, we're in like a 16 by 16 room uh, studio. Uh, it's a super small store, and somehow they fit every single thing I needed for all these recipes I had. All yeah. this produce. It was so yeah. fucking good, dude. I made a General So's grilled chicken the other night, and I sent a picture to my mom because I was so proud of it because I, I never cook, like, like I said. <laughs> and my mom was like, Cole made that. My mom's actually a, a chef. She's like a personal chef. No way. So I grew up with a lot of uh, home cooked meals. What's her best dish? Oh, um, I know that's a loaded question. No, I know. What's like um, the most nostalgic dish? Like, what could you taste and smell does right this, now? Like, um, these like salmon, these like salmon self made sushi wraps that are with this like teriyaki sauce that she makes all from scratch. Um, and it that's one of my favorite things. She also does like really insane shepherd's pie. Oh, shepherd. My mom was like gluten free before gluten free was a thing too. So I always get like grew so she up was eating, a, like, rice she was pasta. a tastemaker. Yeah, I mean like well now it's like gluten, everyone's fucking and their grandma is gluten free and they're yeah. like uh but like I just wanted McDonald's. I was like you know, 8 Never years old it. and and instead we got rice pasta. It's like the meme like uh, we have McDonald's at home. And the, she <laughs> makes a, a A5 Wagyu yeah, burger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, uh, I have no chefs in the family. Cole's mom is the nutritionist on the Today Show. So oh, there you go. when we had family gatherings, dank is food. She makes healthy, unhealthy food. So she'll make like buffalo cauliflower wings that hit so hard, just like chicken wings, but you don't feel horrible after it. Yeah. Um, my mom... Has her signature dishes for sure. I love her Philly cheesesteak. Gas. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> the the suburban New York Philly cheesesteak. And I think I think uh oh there's so much food to get lost in. Have you been to like Thai Town in, in East East Hollywood area? No, but Cole brings home food from Thai Town all the Thai time. Thai Town it it's like uh it's like this like square mile radius that there's probably like over thirty different Thai spots in one area. So it's like Koreatown but yeah, yeah, it's like Koreatown. Because um, Koreatown will literally have parking lots shared by seven different Korean barbecue oh, yeah, <laughs> all in one spot. And they're yeah. all guests. And you, they're all like a little different, too, in their own way. Um, they all have gimmicks, like sort of. Some of the best 
like Thai food I've ever had is over in that area. Um, the street tacos too. That's probably a little different from, uh, um, you know, from east East Coast, right? You're, would you consider yourself East Coast? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I grew up. 15 minutes out of New York City, so... A big thing with LA is just street tacos. Yeah, yeah. And there's I, all these spots. Yeah, we've talked about this. Yeah, this, yeah. this neighborhood, so we're in East LA, Mount Washington. Uh, within a square mile radius of my house, there's probably 45 taquerias. Taquerias. Taquerias, yeah, taquerias. yeah. And I, I go on, like, mini food tours. I'll go... Some nights I'll just be like, I haven't tried this one yet, and... I never run out of options. Have you had, um, have you had like sopes yet? Yes. Yes. Sopes. There's a spot over on York in Highland Park uh, called Horaches. They do a really good sope. Um, and then the pupusa. Have you had that like Salvadorian pancake thing? Oh, yeah. That was something I never had until I moved to LA and I kept on seeing them like the first year or so I was here and I was like, oh, I'm going to try it. And now it's just like got to be one of my favorite when I was When I was growing up, I have three younger siblings. So. I was always the oldest, but when I was a kid, I had, like, baby siblings, so I had a nanny, and she was Colombian, and she'd take me to the best, like, Latin food spots. Like, I was put on to empanadas when I was, like, six. Oh, there you go. I've been obsessed since, but she, she'd come through with just full pre-made feasts that we'd eat for dinner. Like, she'd make uh, all these different soups, and, yeah, she, she took me to a papusaria. Papusaria, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. For those that don't know what pupusas are, there it's it's like this like corn uh, Salvadorian pancake, and it has like you can kind of pick what's inside. Yeah, yeah. So you can do a, a vegetarian thing, or you can do like you know pork and beans like or a all, fluffy you know. crispy taco. And it's and then they give you this like cabbage that you like put on the top of your pancake. It's like slaw ish, right? Yeah, like it's yeah. It's like and I I always get like an extra thing of that because I like fucking load it on. Oh, there. I get it without because oh, I there you go. I didn't like mayonnaise until this year. Oh shit! It's the okay. least white thing about me. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't know. I just grew up despising mayo, and then recently, I just, I was like, I just got to start ordering shit with mayo. Force myself to like it because there's too much good food that people recommend that I can't eat. A little like mayo and like a shrimp taco too. Yeah, yeah. That will just change. Chipotle life. mayo like, yeah. was kind of eye opening. I realized how much I was really missing out when I found like the flavored mayo. Plain mayo is still kind of yeah. Plain mayo is kind of gnarly. Gray area for me, but <laughs> chipotle mayo on a sandwich or like you know like chicken cutlet. Oh, yeah. so good. But yeah, um, I f- got that before I came here. I got penang curry at this little Thai spot around the street from my house. I'm out of groceries, and I was like, man, I gotta eat something for you. Can't go to this podcast all fucking hungry. Yeah, you can't be hungry for my podcast, but I smell (laughs) hungry. (laughs) So, and I ate the whole thing. I just like wolfed it down. I was like, all right. (laughs) I've been eating weird shit out here. I, cause I watch a lot of food shows. Like I, I binge watch Bourdain every time. I don't know what to put on TV. Go to. And yeah, I, I've been just trying to hit as many hole in the wall and random spots like food trucks also, you could go to Home Depot out here, and there will be 30 different stands selling quesadillas and tacos. Oh, yeah. You will automatically get amazing food if you go to any of those, by the way. They're so fucking good. I I've, I've think that anytime I go out in L.A., I always end up getting Mexican food before I 
go but home. no more we gotta stop talking about go, going out for food because you're oh yeah you're staying at you deleted uber yeah. eats you said you're you're reminding me of my glory days out here <laughs> we're all talking about do you want to order something by the way yo fuck no, off no, no, fuck no. off <laughs> i also found out i have high cholesterol so i'm on the verge of death apparently oh there you go so i can't i can't do it i've been just trying to no more chicken cutlet i'm grilled chicken kid now i'm one of those guys there you go yeah, there's more and more green on my plate every night. It's freaking me out. Like I feel I, like when you cook yourself too, you can kind of like monitor your diet a lot more. Yeah, I, f- I found what I like to cook, what I'm good at, and I'll just hammer that recipe. Like I'll I'll do that three times a week. But do you think, do you, I also feel like for me, like the cooking thing kind of relates to the lo-fi world a bunch because it's just such a stay at home, like stay at home kind of genre vibe or you know like or cooking beats you know the thing i realized about it is like every single artist i work with has such a completely different process than the next it's like the same exact thing you find exactly what works for you in your workflow and just master it over time and then new things will be coming out new technologies and you'll just avoid it because you're so used to what you oh yeah i mean me especially though because i'm making less beats than i am just recording vocals and tracking but I, I use the same exact vocal chain. Like me and Max were just talking about this before the podcast. I use the same vocal EQ and mixing process on every single one of my songs. I've been using that process since I was like and you, 15. And you use it on your the like the audio oh, yeah. we're hearing here. This audio so like you're hearing. The Shout podcast out. <laughs> mics has the Ben Beal vocal tone on it. No one could jack it though. Like I, It's so specific. I know exactly what to tweak everything to to make it... The same as my last demo, the same as three demos before. I think a lot of like producing and mixing is just developing tastes too, right? Yeah, yeah, you for know? sure. Like you figure out that sound of like what you're really trying to put forward and then fuck, you know, like if that's what, if that's your thing and that's what you're hearing, then yeah, you're going to like stick to your guns on it. You Do know? you think there's like an industry standard? You guys didn't see that, but I just did air quotes. Do you think there's an industry standard for what a mix should sound like? Because a lot of engineers market themselves as like, I'll give you a industry mix, whatever. I don't, you know, like my whole philosophy with audio, well, I guess in the length of my career, when I first started, I started not thinking about the mix at all. Like I had a cassette recorder and like, I mean, that's uh, lo-fi bro. That's, that's yeah. what lo-fi well, is supposed to the, sound like it was in a garbage disposal. And the inspired and the sleep band that I had used to be like, we used to be like a, like a tune yard style, like lo-fi band, like with Fucking youth lagoon and all those guys yeah. were coming up and we like would send our music out to blogs and it would be these records that I would make where I'm just like hitting trash cans at my dad's house and like i don't i didn't know what i was doing i didn't like know where the mic placement was i was just like throwing it somewhere in the room and yo my song smile i didn't mix like there's no mix yeah on that. it just it's my yeah, ba- it that's has crazy it has like 70 million streams across platforms i literally was just 16 <laughs> recorded yeah. it and dropped it and there was I, no thought process yeah. it was just it came together and i think like when i got to when i moved to la i think i got opened up to the pop world a lot more and then that's that's very much the mindset of like everything needs a sound. There's like a there's definitely a radio standard mix, but I started hearing artists like Freddie Dread and like you know Dreamer Isioma, formerly known as yeah, Serena yeah. Isioma. Yeah. Their mixes are insanely different than anything I've ever heard and it's bringing it's adding a whole new quality to that music. I I don't think a lot of these engineers understand that each artist should have a different type of touch on their music and that's really new too i feel like especially definitely in the last, like over the pandemic i think there's so many artist projects that took on mixing themselves and of like 
elevated that world. I think like for me personally, when I, I had this period of my life where I was like, man, everything needs to sound amazing. Like this has to be the perfect. It has to be crystal clear. And I did that for a while. And like, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. And I, I love working on music that like, I, I know needs to be perfect, but then I kind of like let go of that. And I was just like, man, I just want to do stuff that I think has character and resonates. And it's like more unique rather than, uh, like sounding the most ideal or like competitive. And so I think there's definitely like, a uh, a level of, of professional standard. What, of what a mix like could be in, in some pop spaces, but I can't, I don't even really, I can't really hear that. I can just, like, I, I think that's more for someone that says a super trained ear of, like, oh, this is... Definitely. Because you can have a hit that is, like, completely mixed to nowhere, but no one's really going to know because it's going to sound so normalized to... Or, well, I mean, people are going to know, and it's a it's an interesting mix, but, like, <laughs> it's not going to be, like, someone's going to be like, man, this isn't, like, radio hit standard. I can't like of this course, on Spotify, you know? It's, like, it's just, like, your vibe when you're listening to music at the time, and, and, and that's what it makes music blow up. I, so. I was listening to a Dave Grohl interview, lead singer of the Foo Fighters. If you don't know that, I, I don't know what you're doing right now. Drummer of Nirvana. Yeah, drummer of Nirvana. <laughs> Underground indie band. Bedroom pop. And the first lo-fi boys. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, they didn't have any hits, though. But Dave Grohl said he prefers listening to records that you could literally hear the scratch of people's fingers on the guitar strings. Like you, the He, he says, like, the rawer the sound, it sounds more organic and reminds him of, like, how yeah. music sounds live. I do a lot of takes on um, iPhones. I heard that's uh, a cheat code, by the way. Like, I it heard is, it's insane. I, Think about how much, like, as a society, our ear is trained to, like, like consume music through an iPhone, right? Yeah. And so a mic, so they made the voice memo app or whatever, <laughs> and they're like, this needs to sound good on an iPhone. And that translates so well when you bounce it into a DAW and just, like, add a little bit of EQ yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. I'm about to get death threats, like, but, like, yeah, I, I know so many producers that record acoustic guitar samples directly into their iphone and oh, they yeah. say it sounds better than any preamp can make their guitar sound yeah i do, I do it all the time it's a wild lot, like the majority of or all the acoustic guitar stuff on the urchin stuff is like with my phone for sure and it's you cannot tell it sounds like stadium quality i also really like um those like old school like headphones you know for for just the apple headphones oh the the, the wired on it i've been working so the, the new crescent single he did that vocal take on uh, Clayhouse, the vocalist. Did it on a iPhone, uh, like one of those cables with the mic on it. That's what like he recorded on. Yeah, that's what he did the vocal on. Just for reference, guys, the song he's referring to just dropped. Peep on two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Peep as of tomorrow, but Insanity. no one's gonna know. <laughs> yeah. This podcast comes out when it. Nah, it's right. probably gonna come out tomorrow after oh, I edit it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, on Urchin's Spotify page, she has a new song called Crescent right now, Clayhouse, and it's getting, what, 70,000 streams a day? Yeah. And you're saying it was recorded on an iPhone cable? It was recorded on a, yeah, the vocal was recorded on a, uh, one of those white iPhone headphone situations where the mic is that little thing. (laughs) This should show anyone listening that's, like, in their bedrooms producing and making music that, you don't need the most expensive shit to make incredible music that people resonate with. You could be recording with the bare minimum, like an iPhone headphone jack, 
directly into a DAW and DAW, as the, the millennials yeah, pronounce yeah. it, and make an absolute hit. So always just like go with your gut, put out whatever the fuck you think sounds good, and don't think too hard about it. Definitely. I mean, obviously think about it, but don't think too hard about it. Don't think it. too hard. Yeah. Have a cutoff for that. <laughs> My The best advice I ever got was just like, and I, I say it all the time, just make whatever you would listen to personally. I, I just have always thought whatever my gut is going to take me to, like whatever place musically or sonically, that's what I need to like stick with. And it's it hasn't failed me yet, except... And like, it, the reason why it didn't fail me is because when I did stray from making music with my gut and I started listening to other people, taking feedback into consideration, the shit sucked. Yeah. And I knew it. I did. I listened to it and I'm like, I hate that this has my name on it. I hate I put this out. So people like the the most cliche thing in the industry right now is so many artists are trying to fit a mold, trying to kind of make songs that they think will pop off because they sound like other songs that have popped off. That's like a recipe for disaster. Listen to Urchin, you'll see. Make whatever the fuck you want and it'll pop off. As long as it's good, people are gonna find it. It's the internet. It really is. We are living in in we the are. internet. Yeah, <laughs> it's every uh, dystopian show from the late '90s, early 2000s that predicted the internet would turn into robots that They're killed like, everyone. We're all gonna be on TikTok. Yep, Bitcoin's gonna be popping off. <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> parents when they had me, they were like, "I'm pissed. We have to spend money on a baby now. I could have invested in Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it wouldn't be a bad investment. No. <clears throat> I'm sure they'd be a lot uh, happier." <laughs> oh no no no! Nah, no. I think I was a good investment. I think I'll pay dividends. Yeah, there you go. You know, they're getting a house once I get my first big check. There you go. Retirement too. No, <laughs> no retirement. <laughs> they have to keep working for the rest. Is that the sibling thing? <laughs> you have to pay your parents' retirement. No. I have a. Uh, I have three younger siblings. So unless I get insanely rich and famous in the next few months, like three are you the oldest of three yeah yeah or four you're the oldest of four um, and i'm 23 my my younger brother's 21 she just my beat sister's the shit out of those three kids freaking yeah all the time <laughs> yep. oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've been i've been out here competing with my siblings on a daily basis nah, nah, it's i'm the i'm the youngest of two so i have one older brother okay and where you grew up in san diego right yep yeah my family my brother and um i got a bunch of friends down there um uh, it's it's different. I it's it's in like one of the nicest cities in the world. Yeah, it's uh, it's like I mean, I I say this about New York all the time like you have like a spoiled point of view if you oh, grew yeah. up in the city, no matter where you live in the city because it's one of the most convenient places ever and there's such a great culture in the city. Like what what was that like in San Diego? Like how could you not as much culture? <laughs> not as much culture. I mean in in areas You guys had fucking like, Tony Hawk though. I feel like you yeah, already went. You know what's funny is I I I made a commercial for Tony Hawk That's and so Cartoon sick. Network when I was like 16. Uh was everyone at school so fucking jealous? My oh, well, I didn't really have any friends in high school, so mm. there wasn't really anyone to be jealous. But <laughs> I, I had this little high school band uh called Tan Sister Radio, shout out. And uh we got asked, we were like gigging, you know, like we played like the Elks Lodge, which is like the I know the Elks Lodge. I actually like you could throw a little punk show there. Why do I know that venue? They have a bunch of them everywhere. They're like just okay, like a, okay. they're like a senior set. It's like a like chain. A, okay. Yeah, and so uh, Oaks, we I feel would like just I like heard throw our like little punk show like and Peaks. play. And, and um, did the senior citizens like the punk? Yeah. 
And that's that's, uh, that's where we got our start. Uh, what was the wildest reaction you had from someone at one of these homes when you were playing? You know what? The wildest react. We did one show in the senior citizen building, and I remember we were so excited about. We we're like, dude, we need to make a crazy live show. Like, this is gonna be sick. We we're already like rocking <laughs> out, or whatever. And so we got uh, Just a light fog the machine. whole like we got room like, on fire. We got a. I think we were like gonna get one fog machine. I was like, we might as well get like two or three if we're gonna go crazy on this live show. <laughs> and so we do this one show. We fucking blew up this Elks Lodge with smoke. And I remember a lot. Is it of, like, like open to the public, or is it just to entertain the senior it's citizens? It's open to the public. Like you would have to like we would charge a cover. Okay. To, like uh, and then we would damn. Have, so like, you got these you got these old homes popping. We were going for it, and one of my buddies comes up and he was like, "Dude, my my eyes just started crying with like the smoke. It was just so intense, like and I couldn't breathe. Like we had to leave. <laughs> we were wondering like a lot of people left during our set. We're like, what's going on? And they're like, yeah, dude, the smoke just like took me out. No uh, way, but it, it was just too much fog. Cool. It looked fucking cool, and that's all that matters. Um, I need to see some footy from that. Wait, how did I get on my high school band? Where 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 did I derail that? Uh, but yeah, grew up in San Diego. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I, I think for me, I just wanted to, I knew I wanted to do music. That was always the thing that I wanted to do. And, uh, I got to this point where like I played all these shows and all the venues in San Diego and I was like, man, no one here is really doing it. Everyone's kind of like a weekend warrior, you know, which I think I got you. Any I still see a major music city. That's what you're going to have. And so I was like, you know, I need to go somewhere where like. I can surround myself. By is that part of the culture like, though? You think in San Diego, like a lot of people just like enjoy the really small intimate shows, just, you know, getting on any stage they can and playing for people. Yeah. I think there's like, I mean, I don't think there's like that appreciation for the arts you get to in a bigger city. Really? So I, I didn't expect that. I've, I feel like California for the most part, a lot of the cities I've been here really appreciate just any sort of creativity and art, but I've only been in like Southern California I know San Diego is obviously in yeah. Southern California. I'm going up to the Bay next week, which I'm excited. Um, I know the Bay Area has so many fucking. Bay's got a lot of cool creative, yeah. but the problem with the Bay is it's just so expensive. So for yeah. artists to live in the Bay, like, I there was there was like a really vibrant thing. I don't know as many people in that circle as much now, but it's just so tough because tech is like makes everything so expensive up there. Of course. And so, how are you gonna? you know, like live in SF and per- pursue like a, a, you know, punk rock band or whatever you want to <laughs> do up there, you know, like do, do some uh, Silicon Valley corporate events. Yeah, like, exactly. Like you gotta fucking go vegan punk Mac sponsored. <laughs> vegan punk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure there's a lot of vegan punk, honestly. Yeah. There has to oh, be. Oh yeah. Vegan, vegan and punk are like, they can go hand in hand. Really? Vegan punks are the most vegan and the most punk. Damn. I will say, we used to play at this <laughs> venue in San Diego called the Che Cafe, and it was like the, it was like this, it was the only venue that wasn't there to make money off of the kids. Like, you know, they had the little, like, warp Tour scene venues that were just like, uh, this spot was just like super low ticket prices. Uh, um, it would, they held a lot of meetings for like all different organizations and all like student run organizations on UCSD, which is the uh, UC school in, in La Jolla and San Diego. But all of my favorite bands in high school played there. Like I played there a bunch. I met my first girlfriend at that venue. Like I have all these experiences about it. And I think in a lot of ways, San Diego, like that shaped me. Cause I come, that's where I come from. It's like the live, live band world. That's where my starting music comes from. And then I came to LA and I like kind of just saw, 
man, there's a thousand different ways you can do this, you know? Like, <laughs> I, I you think know, you want to do music, right? Like, and you come you could, to a yeah, city, you, like... I've met every type of musician I feel like possible out here. I've met right, yeah. orchestral musicians. I've met session musicians, uh, people that just engineer and make a bag off that. Publishing. Like, literally, there, yeah. there's so many different opportunities here. I had, a, I had a session with this Scottish songwriter over Zoom this morning, and he's, like, writes pop songs every day, and, like... It was such an experience to like link, and we wrote this kind of like lo-fi like influence pop thing, and I was just like, man, like that would have never been possible anywhere else, you know? For real. Well, I, I mean, you, ca- you can't. Other go to places like, are there's so many, you know, there's cities that do awesome, have a bunch of awesome creatives. Of but course, but you can't go to like Flagstaff, Arizona. Or yeah, like yeah. <laughs> you could record your bluegrass band in Flagstaff, though. For there's sure. A, there's a pop in fl- uh, bluegrass scene in Flagstaff. I actually, that's, it's weird that you say that because I, I don't know why I named Flagstaff, Arizona. I was trying to think of just like a more remote city, but I do know a lot of people that are killing it out there. Shout out Arizona. Shout out AZ. Maybe like Des Moines, Iowa. Like we would, in California, we, we would call the people from Arizona that went to the beach, the Zonies. Zonies. Yeah. Or like, you know, uh, Rocket Power, uh, like Shoebies. Oh yeah. So oh, if you show up to the beach with shoes, you know? Then you'd be like, oh, that they're probably zonies. <laughs> but uh, I, gecko you know, tattoos. That being said, I, I love Arizona. My mom used to live there. I have a bunch of friends that are zonies. It's beautiful. It's just too fucking hot. It's too hot. I can't. I can't do desert weather. LA is hot enough. Yesterday was. Although it's been really insane. nice, dude. It's been really fucking nice. I I definitely prefer it to the cold. You're a little hotter because you're a little further out east too. It's gonna get cooking. You oh, yeah. the, you haven't had your first summer in LA. Yeah, yeah um, you just got here. No, so. no, I got here like early, early September. So I got like the tail oh, yeah. end of it. But I I definitely know what it's like because I came here on a family vacation when I was in middle school. We went to like Runyon Canyon and it was yeah. 110 fucking degrees. Super I was hot, like, yeah. I was like talking to my parents. I'm like, we need to get the fuck out of here. We're all going to die. <laughs> We're is, all gonna, where is there snow? Excuse me? Yeah, there's... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody is selling hot chocolate at the base of this mountain. <laughs> nah, but wrong. it was like we were on top of fucking Runyon Canyon. For those of you who don't know, it's a very touristy hiking trail here. Yeah, you can never find parking over there, too. Yeah, you right ju- in the middle of West Uber. Hollywood. Like, it's West Hollywood, right? So Uber there. Take a bird to the hike. <laughs> like, you're exactly. not going to find parking. But it, it's basically like a three-mile loop that when you get to the top, you have a perfect view of every part of Southern L- or Oh, yeah. Not Southern LA, just Southern California. Like yeah, you, I mean, you're looking right, you're right next to the Hollywood sign, so you're overlooking Hollywood, and then you can see downtown over to Santa Monica. You know, it's it's really sick, LA. especially if you're not from LA and you haven't been at the top of any building, because <laughs> if you go to the top floor of any building, you have the same view. But but Ben, you always go to the top floor of every building. Obviously, so obviously, yeah. I I spend most of my Hold days in top there, floors. Yeah, yeah. I have my little conference room that has a 30 foot long table that i sit at the end at everyone sits at the other side (laughs) but yeah no it's it it was mad cool um i just thought i was gonna die because we were at the top of this mountain no water or anything and it's so funny because there's so many tourists doing the same exact thing that i was doing like girlfriends telling their boyfriends like we need to go down now like it, you're, you're, and if you didn't bring a water bottle, then you're screwed. Yeah, the only way to get back down once you're at that point is to do the same exact amount of distance that you just covered. So I knew that I was in for another like 45-minute walk in that 
brisk heat. Running soap. You have a lot of sick parks over here near Glassell Park, too. Yeah, me and Cole uh, walk up our street, and it brings us to... Cause there's, there's one spot that's really close to here that... And I'm forgetting the name of it, but you go up this hill. It's, like, maybe, like, a 15-minute walk up the hill. But it's, like, this little lake on the top of the hill, and there's a bunch of little turtles in there. Oh, shit. You got to check it out. Yeah, and yeah, I'll, drop, I'll drop a pen. And I'll text real. you. And, uh... But you just like go up to this little mini oasis, and there's all these like little turtles. That sounds that sounds hard as hell. I love turtles. I like turtles. I like turtles. What's the what's the craziest thing you've seen since you moved to East LA? Because what do you mean crazy? Just like what what has shocked you the most about this area? Like it could be something that you saw, something that happened to you, or just something crazy. Because it is fucking wild out here. It is. It's pretty bonkers. I, um, I knew that it was. Uh, so I'm in like the Highland Park. Burbank, Pasadena, like tri count or tri city, whatever. I don't know what it's called, but I'm like right in the middle of all these different cities, and there's so much crime here. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's tons. Of, um. Oh man. Uh. The craziest thing I've seen. Um, I've seen a lot of crazy car accidents. Like, I, right after they've happened. I've never seen a car accident in real time, other than, like, car accidents I've been in. Yeah, you got to be careful of the drivers. Yeah, yo, I've seen, like, way. five out here. We were driving back from a show in Hollywood um, with my buddy, and, and we're, it was late. I think it was, like, 2 a.m. We got food after my buddy played. And there was a car, like, on the far right, and the lane just flipped in the opposite direction, like facing us as we were going by. And then we saw two guys outside. And so we we're like, oh, yeah, we got to pull over and like see if everything's okay. This obviously just happened. There's no other cars around. And so, yeah, they, I guess they had just experienced like some driver like swerved into them and hit them and like spun them oh. off the road. And like that guy, I haven't seen someone shooken up. I don't know if this is the craziest thing I've seen in LA, but I, like I haven't seen someone that like shooken up in a while. Just like the fear of God or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. like he was just like very much shaken. I had the same um, experience in New York where we were, it was like 3 a.m. Me and my friends were going to this spot called Rockies. It's a deli in Millwood, New York. Like 40-minute drive from my house. But sounds it's, like very New York thing to go to a deli at 3 a.m. Yo, we were we were all high as hell, just like starving. You do what you got to do. So we drive to this place 40 minutes away called Rockies. It's like a staple. Everyone in my town uh, in high school, we'd all just get late-night sandwiches from the spot because they were so yeah. good. And this place is open 24 hours, so you know it's open. Um, we're on the way there, and I think we're in White Plains, New York, which is about five minutes from where I live. And we're getting, we're merging onto the highway. We're going under this little tunnel. And after the tunnel, there uh, we take um, an off-ramp off the highway. And right on the corner of the off-ramp, like, you know how a lot of cars just go, like, straight. Like, if a driver's, like, I'd say they're asleep going off the off-ramp, they're going to go straight into the rail, uh, we were the only cars on the road, and we see as we're turning the the big curve to get off the highway, there's just a dude's car accordioned, and this oh, Jesus. this dude just standing outside his car, clearly obliterated, like so drunk. Oh wow! His car, he didn't hit anyone though, right? He just no, like no, he slammed yeah. right into a wall. There was one dude that pulled over and was helping him, but the cops hadn't gotten there yet, and. That the dude that was in the car wouldn't get out of the car. Um, he was it didn't look like he was injured, but the car it looked like Thanos just crushed it. Like it was 
The, accor- the accordion example is good. Just Dude, the uh, only, <laughs> like, the car was completely crushed, like, smushed into... And he was all right? And it, or he just a little The only out? part that wasn't crushed was the driver's seat. It was the most insane thing. Ooh. And the guy that's standing on the side of the road helping him comes up to our window, because we pull over to see what's up. We're obviously going to make sure everyone's okay. And this guy goes, that dude is drunk as fuck right now. Like, he's going to go to jail right now. But maybe not, though. Maybe he just bailed the... This I've known people that have gotten in car accidents when they were drunk and they just leave. No, the the guy's like, "Are you sure?" He or, or we're like, "Are you sure?" To the guy, he's like, he's slurring his words so bad right now. You yeah, can yeah. smell alcohol in the car. There's open. There's don't drink open. and drive, kids. Yeah, by the don't way. drink and drive because that dude's life is probably ruined. But uh, he, it was a cr- like just seeing just this little pocket of space in the car oh, yeah. so lucky. where it wasn't crushed. And so lucky. Yeah. Someone yeah. was looking out for that dude that night, but he's definitely in jail, and he should be. But uh, I think the craziest thing I've seen out here was me and Cole were in downtown L.A., and there was just there there are a lot of homeless people here, and it's super fucking sad. Uh, I don't know why the city more so than New York, right? Insanely more. Like, yeah, New yeah. York. Also, the homeless people, all like it's not as dense like you'll see one homeless person per like block here it's entire tent cities and people have apartment sized tents here but skid row is was like next level over covid it's over oh my god over like quarantine i watch i I watch this youtube channel called white uh soft white underbelly where this dude interviews people that live in tents on skid row and it's some of the craziest interviews ever (laughs) dude oh my god yeah. I, I actually implore anyone listening to watch Soft White Underbelly because it's really eye-opening. It's so fucked. Yeah. And it's all the saddest stories ever. They could pick the worst person who's like, the, the title would be like, um, uh, ex-murderer, or, or murderer, convict, whatever, just got out of jail. Be the saddest story ever. You instantly have like immense empathy for whoever they're interviewing no matter what they did it sucks yeah i i did i worked at this conference in downtown i was like doing sound gigs when i first moved to la and um there was this one guy who did a speech that that ran like a couple homeless shelters in downtown he was very like focused on the community there and um and helping out and he was saying like the most typical scenario to where at least in la that you have someone that slips into homelessness is like working um, getting to like a different age and then experiencing an injury on the job and then getting overprescribed, yeah, medication. That's and like that's one of the most common stories. Slipping into uh, addiction and you know thus homelessness. And y- you uh, watch the show Dope Sick? I haven't seen. I've seen the commercial for it. But yeah, I haven't Michael Keaton. Is it good? Oh my god! It, but that's okay. that's what it's about. It's I'm like looking for some new shows. So. I'll Watch Dope Sick. It's it's a really good watch and it's short too. It's like one season. I it might come back, but uh, it yeah. It just showed how like so many people were just being overprescribed medicine that they didn't need because the pharmaceutical companies so heavily like aggressively advertise these pills to doctors, and it it's just profit for everyone. Doctors, uh, pharmacies, pharmacists, yeah, whatever. So totally. no one no one in the medical field had problems with it until. They realized that I, I I read a stat, but I'm not gonna say a stat because I, I I don't know it off the top of my head. I read a crazy stat that's like the amount of people that are homeless are um, that were addicted to something that they were prescribed, and then it led them to be homeless. Yeah, it sounds like that. That kind of changed my when he said that it changed my perspective on it a little bit. You know, cause 
what do I know? I've, I've never been without a home. I've been fortunate. Um, but the, the scariest part is it could happen to anyone. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like rich, yeah. rich kids, poor kids, uh, adults, old people, any, like anyone like that shit's just something unavoidable. But wait, sidetracked craziest thing I saw this homeless lady. Um, she was tweaking in downtown LA and I was going to little Tokyo. I think I was just right outside little Tokyo and she walked by me, butt ass naked, holding a pitchfork. Yeah, talking to herself, holding a pitchfork, butt-ass naked, like, no cloth, no clothing. Nothing at all? Nothing. Okay. All right. And I was just well, like, th- that was also, I think, my first time in downtown LA ever. <laughs> yeah. That's I was like, right. oh, my fucking God, this place is <laughs> insane. Um, it hasn't, it, it's been like that every time I go, though. It's it's really sad. And, the, and the thing that's crazy about downtown is you'll go from an area that has some of the poorest people in the world, and then you'll go two blocks up and you'll have some yeah. of the richest high rises that like ever exist. It's just this like, it, it'll be all those high rises that just so shows like all the success and cruelty of the world. And like one fucking, you know, but I'm sure all kinds of cities, you know? Oh yeah. It's, it's like that everywhere, that, but, but LA yeah. is specifically. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy town, man. It's, it's not for everyone. I think the, the saying I always got when people moved here is when you make it a year, you're in the clear. Yep. So you and so you got a year, um, to see if LA is um, gonna stick for you. Seven months in, I think. Seven six months, months in. in. So yeah, once you make it a year, then you're in the clear. Yeah, but I feel like I so got my. So in the next bearings. three months, you could tap out at any point. You're like, I'm over this. It's I, not for me. No, I I'm there are days where I'm like, I need to get the fuck out of here, and then there are other days that just remind me of why I moved here in the first place. But there's no middle ground. Yeah. <laughs> there's right, never right. days where I'm just comfortably like, this is. This is it for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day is either I'm going back to New York as soon as I can, or I'm never going back. Like this is my life now. Yeah, I I think I love traveling, and that like helps out my career so much and me as a creative a bunch because I get back and after leaving LA, you know, I have this thing where I'm like in LA, I'm working a lot, you know, da da da, like always keeping busy with projects. And then I kind of burn out because the energy here yep. is just so like go 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 go, and and that's great, super motivating, but like also just because I'm bad at balancing sometimes, like I just overwork myself and burn myself out and like burn the candles at both ends. Uh, and then I'll leave LA for a weekend and I'll go like you know see a new area. How nice like, is it to leave nice. LA? It's great it's because so when you fun. come back. <laughs> When you come back, you like appreciate the city that much more. I just went home. I went. I went back to. Oh, how was that? How were the shows, by the way, too? Oh, it was crazy. I went back. It was so nice to get out of LA, just because, like you said, I was so burnt out. Um, it's a very demanding town. Every everyone I'm friends with is also a musician that needs something from me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like yeah, not yeah. not uh, that was not a correct statement. That's- like everyone just wants to work at all times, and a lot of the time. I'm just like, I really just want to watch TV and yeah, yeah, play yeah. my Switch or read a book or something. <laughs> just smoke a blunt well, and just you're like. you in demand. You know that I'm one of those people texting you for sessions all the time. No, so. no, nah, nah, but I, <laughs> we, we've we had great sessions that I, I genuinely feel really good about after. There are a lot of filler sessions I have that I'm just like, yeah, that happened. That's probably not going to happen right, again, yeah, you know? That's all a part of it. But though, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, I, I was just doing way too much. I was working too much. I was listening to way too much of my voice. Yeah, I, I, as I'm a vocalist, like, man, you know. Yeah. Do you I, ever? Do you, you don't ever like 
like comp your voice or like mix your, mix your voice for the because you said usually I think we were talking about under session usually send your yeah, stems yeah. out to be mixed. I mean, when you I'm, mix your own voice, like when you start to finish, you know, like I think it's it's so different as a vocalist. I'm not you, thinking that, about that, the like, mix when I do it. I, I just like I have an you idea. Be, yeah, you should be thinking about the performance. Exactly. Yeah. I have an idea of like what I want it to sound like. So I take notes of everything I hear when I'm recording a demo and then give those notes to the engineer. But I do like my demos to sound good because I'm a horror with my unreleased music. I want everyone to fucking hear it yeah, yeah, before yeah. it comes out, get feedback from everyone. Yeah. So I definitely spend a little too much time trying to make my vocals sound as crispy as possible. But like I said, I have it down to a science. I My vocal chain never changes. Uh, I... I using the same equipment I was using four years ago, just a little more studio equipment here. But for the most part, all I need is a mic and my laptop. And that's super for you as a songwriter and, and, you know, a rapper, like, and as an artist, like being super intentional, I think is a huge thing. So like a moment, a moment ago, like you were saying, like you've done a couple like dead in the water sessions, which totally happens. You never know, you know, like, yeah, yeah. You're not going to go in every day and write the best thing possible. But I think as long as like, uh, you set an intention of like what you're trying to do, you know, and show up every day. Like for me, that's like prove the best results. Where do you ever draw the line though? Because I have a lot of friends that are great friends, love them to death, but I don't think like what we're making is going to be droppable or like, so I, I I do sessions with them because it's fun to be with them, fun to like be around, but then you'll get a text like, five hours after the session like so what are the release plans with it like you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah, what, yeah when do you draw the line with that how do you separate being friends with someone that's not necessarily because i'm sure a lot of your friends i i know you collab with a lot of your friends and successful collabs yeah. that you see through to the end yeah yeah but do you have people that are and obviously you don't have to answer this i could cut it out well <laughs> i think in some in oh no no totally uh i think in some ways you just never know what you're gonna get a little bit you know yeah. like so there's always that optimistic portion of it. Uh, but I have no, I've written tons of songs with friends and stuff. We kind of reached this like, um, kind of like dead point where it's like, okay, this isn't for your artist project. Maybe they had a band or, or whatever. And, and it wasn't really something for mine. And I wrote tons of songs like that. Um, I think like, I, I like the idea of continually writing. I also think it's it's really important to like select and hone in more. Yeah. I don't know. My whole thing for this year, because I'm totally on the same board of view of just like, it sounds like we say yes to a lot of shit, you yeah, know? And then yeah. like, in hindsight, you're like, man, maybe I shouldn't do that. And I, <laughs> that's a, been a huge concept for me I don't me like lately. saying no to people that I don't want to disappoint. And I have a ton of different projects. Yeah. So like, for me to say yes to everything with all these, it would just, I, there's just no, not enough time in the world. Like, And how do you break it to someone that, you don't that how do you break it to someone that you're like friends with that you don't necessarily want to see through a project yeah, yeah. that you're working oh, on? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's like it's such a conundrum. But that's also the thing, you kinda <laughs> gotta be up front and be like I know you know, this is a fit or it isn't. I mean, I think you're a very decisive artist. I feel like you're very like you got this strong identity, you know what you wanna do. And that's you just let that guide you. You know what I mean? Like that's what I've been trying to do. It's, you know? it's and all, I'm trying to find what is that voice for me. You know, recently though, like, I've been second guessing my own internal voice. Like I want to be experimental. I want to do shit that I, I like. Want to push my own boundaries, and it's something that 
I've always tried to do, but always end up just sticking with my roots. And, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. What's your process like when you're like working on new sounds? How do you discover that you even want to do a new sound? Um, well, the new sound for Urchin this year um, and just like in general uh, is, and we were talking about this earlier, is like I've been a big advocate of like integrating uh, songs and vocals into the lo-fi world. Uh, and I come from a background as a songwriter. And so all the new stuff that I've been working on is all vocal-oriented stuff. And and funny enough, like, one of my processes when I'm, like, r- like fleshing out arrangements and lo-fi stuff is I sing the part a lot of time. Like, the if I'm, ri- like, writing a little keyboard lead or a guitar, da-da-da. You start humming the melody. Yeah, I start yeah. humming the melody, you know, because that's just, like, that's where the notes come from for me. And so... Um, I do the same thing. It's just like, it's impossible not to, but that's the only way you could keep that retention. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it in your head. And there's, there's different, like there's different mindsets, you know, there's different kind of roles. So like the producer mindset can be very different from the songwriter mindset and like the mixer mindset, you know, like we were just saying, like you can't be thinking about how the vocal is going to be mixed while you're performing it because you got to think about the performance. That's the most important part. I I need my delivery to be, to like and a shitty performance, yeah. you could have the best mix on the shittiest performance, still gonna be a shitty performance, you exactly. know. So, um, my process is like for sure always changing. There's definitely tastes and sounds and like plugins and presets that like my like you know calculated producer mind goes for, but I think in the end, it all comes back to what I was saying just about being like intentional and 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 I think continually writing in that sense, either if it's you by yourself or with friends, because you never know what you're going to get where you're like, oh, let's fucking run with this, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the best time in today's age is like, like when you finish the thing that you're most happy and hyped about, uh, like put it out, you know? And that's what, that's what I love about the Urchin Project is I just, I finish stuff and I'm like, this is going I want to put out a song every two weeks this year, like, or a release, da, 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 da. Like that's, the most you can do like let's just fucking do it you know like because i of course um so um but it's definitely just like a it's a it's a crazy industry to navigate and i think there's so many people that have really true talents and like shine through that don't necessarily like break through in whatever market it is so i don't know I, you gotta like in some sense i think from a um artist standpoint and like a business standpoint, you have to understand if like being intentional when you jump into those sessions, you know? So, yeah, of course. So, um, you know, maybe like kind of focusing the session on, on a new direction that you're trying to go or focusing it on something that you think would be for pitch or for, or for sync or, you know, but I guess, I guess it's tough cause you're a very artist for it. So the idea is you want to go into every Ben Beal session finishing the best Ben Beale song ever. So right. I think just follow that. I have no other you know? projects that I'd work on someone else with because anything that's an alter ego or some secret shit I'm working on that you'll never find. Um, I got some of that shit too. <laughs> you, I have to because sometimes I just, I can't keep just like recording songs all day. I sometimes just want to make some emo punk rap yeah. and just fucking drop it without thinking about it. Brings yeah. me back to the SoundCloud days. I'm right there with you. Like I, uh, but I'm trying to reel it in with someone like 
And I don't think I mentioned earlier in the lo-fi space. You're having projects pop off. So it's not just like you have just random aliases floating around. But that almost like makes you, it more difficult because then you have... You're like split personality. you have successes, you know, like in different areas. Because uh, I, I have another project called Braj Mahal, which is very like vine like like sample oriented I'll, uh, I'll drop the links to all these pages by the way um in the description of the podcast so anyone listening i encourage you to peep every urchin project because it's crazy like braj mahal is some like 20s speakeasy vibes yeah crazy i just, I just like sample i just sample shit and and run with it and i like try to move as quickly as possible if I have your permission, I'll put I'll put some beats on the podcast. Of course, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I I'd like to keep like a little, um, reel of lo-fi music playing in the background. Yeah. So I could throw in um anything you I want. And I'm putting an album out with that project in May, and uh, there's a single that comes out on uh, tomorrow on Friday. Oh um, shit! Let's fucking so, go. Oh, uh, so it's, well the the it's one out. the one that, that you put a verse on too. It's currently out. It's sh- it should be out right now. It's uh called slow uh snow blunts. Snow Blunts. Oh, like, fuck, yeah. You, I went to Big Bear. I forgot the original name. So, like, so I went to Big Bear with my cousin right after Christmas. And, and my cousins, we went and did a snowboarding trip. And we were, like, smoking blunts on uh You were doing ski lift. Like, we're smoking blunts on the ski lift. And I was just like... Do you not pay attention in dare? You're doing drugs now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, it's not Spotify friendly. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I, uh, I drink the... Uh, Invert uh, the Invermectin to cure COVID. There you go. There you no, go. I'm, compl- I'm completely <laughs> fucking kidding. Don't take this podcast off. And what we, uh, <laughs> what we were saying about like leaving LA and coming back, I feel like I write some of the best music after I do like a trip out, you know, and I come back home to LA because I'm like, man, this place is really exciting and I want to get up and like do this every day. It is, but sometimes um, you just can't do it every day. Oh, no, yeah, totally. That's the human thing. Um, just, dude, being home for like a week was just the greatest feeling ever because I was so excited to go home and then I was so excited to come back after, like, you know, after a certain amount of time being oh, yeah, away. Yeah, just like, yeah. I need to get the fuck home. It makes you appreciate the city more, you know? Yeah. And I, I love how I say home. Like, you'll see after a while. I mean, yeah, you're opposite coast. After a while, like, for me at least, I'd be home for a little while and I'd be like, oh, this is cool. Like, everyone's got a nice cool life da, 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 da. and then i'd be like talking with my old friends from high school and i'd be like wait you do what every day like i'm like i don't want to fucking live in san diego like, I'm balancing LA. Checkbooks, yeah, yeah. like i don't care if this place is a shit show like um not everyone has crazy opinions about la and for the most part they're all correct yeah yeah there's a lot of <laughs> i no one could tell me they think anything about like la portland yeah but it'd be like an yeah. overheard la like turned i think into they've a tried TV that show. there's no there's tons that's like every LA like <laughs> Hollywood production. Dude, I, I've never been told an opinion about an LA or a, an LA opinion just by anyone that I've been like able to argue. Yeah. Okay. Like people are like, I heard the traffic's fucking terrible. Yeah, you're right. Um I heard yeah. everyone's a dickhead. Yeah, you're right. I heard there are sick musicians. That, yeah, you're fucking right. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. there's there's a little bit of everything here and the stereotypes about here are completely true. <laughs> But LA's all also all, what I'd say to a lot of people is LA's all pockets. So um yeah, there's a lot of shitty traffic. But if you know the right times yep. to drive in LA, like you maybe not be as bad. You watch you know? uh Kirby Enthusiasm? Oh yeah, yeah. You know his uh, shortcut to the it. valley, that was his like <laughs> deepest, darkest secret. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh but like I think the pockets thing, like, you know, we were just talking about restaurants. There's like those spots. 
in LA that become your spots. And then I think the people are the same way too. Like <laughs> eventually you find you're like, Oh, these are the people that I fuck with that. Like, you know, like, and you got to sift through a lot of shit, you know, but, um, yeah, making friends here is interesting. Yeah. But I was also able to know instantly. This is the only place that I've ever been where like, you'll meet someone and they'll grab your phone and follow themselves on Instagram yep. and not follow you back and then be like, oh my God, so nice to meet you. Da, da, da. I'm like, I'm going to get bro. another drink. And like, bro, <laughs> I'm just like, every time why? I go out, like every time is... I go out the next morning, I unfollow 30 people minimum. There you go. Everyone you I go. talk to is like, yo, what's your IG? And I take my IG seriously. Like, I don't want a bunch of fucking people that I could not give less of a fuck about popping up every time I open my app. So, uh, Every time I go out, it's like the new form of business cards. People are just like, yo, IG. And I, they're like, my phone's dead or whatever. So they use my yeah, phone yeah, to follow yeah. themselves. Like, they think I'm going a, I'm to a keep it and keep up with their lives I'll after. Try to, I like, I don't, I'm not a huge social media person, but I'll try to like comb through and be like, I shouldn't be following this person. Like they have no correlation to my life. Like why all. am I Let's following a, <laughs> a grad student from Wisconsin right now that I talked to one time for that 20 likes minutes. That lo-fi hip-hop. Yeah. Not even. Just someone that <laughs> took my phone at a party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it actually is the craziest phenomenon, and I think there needs to be a documentary about the forceful follows. Yeah. I think it would, like, imagine I start a podcast just judging everyone that makes me follow them <laughs> the, the morning after I meet them. Yeah, there you go. It's like, why, why do I need to follow these people that I know for a fact I'm never going to see again in my entire life. Yeah. Except you get that occasional one That's person. also a city thing too. Yeah. Like what if you lived in a small town and you, you know, did that to someone you're going to run into at the bar every fucking weekend or whatever, you know? It's like, I mean, it happens in New York City too. And Oh yeah, of course. I, th- I feel like that's newer in New York City because people didn't, uh, a big divide in LA and New York is everyone in LA, well, they're so people in New York are more honest too. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like in New York, I'll tell someone to their face, I'm not fucking following you. In LA, I just let it happen and just unfollow them now. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like a, a personal insecurity. But in New York, it was never geared towards social media. Like, yeah, when yeah, I would I go out, so. no one was asking me what my Instagram was. They'd just be like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah from blah, blah, blah. That's sick. Like, nice to meet you. Yeah. And then I see that person again next time I'm out in the city because they're not a piece of shit that forceful follows them. Like yeah, it's so a, people it's a, invite them to stuff. It's a push pull when you live in a town like this that's like so obsessed with fame, you know, like just by a circumference, you know, like just being close to Hollywood and that whole world. Like it definitely has an influence on the whole town, and it's it, you just gotta. It's a push pull, you know. Like sometimes, sometimes, like the other day we were playing a club in Hollywood. Freaking Leon Bridges and Anderson Pock walk in, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, you told me about this." You know, and I was so like, "When sick. would that ever happen anywhere else?" And like, um, but at the same time, you know, it's like you got to find your people, and especially I think the thing we were talking about is like when you're building a team as an artist, right? Yeah. Or when you're actually starting to really make shit happen and and work and do things, like you need to surround yourself with people that like give a shit about you. Exactly. Um. Because Wait, you- yo, the uh, the Anderson Pack Leon Bridges thing just reminded me of what I wanted to tell you before the podcast. I literally told him, I'm like, I'm saving this story for the podcast. Okay, here we go. I went to a comedy show the other night, and if if you follow me on Twitter, you definitely saw my tweet where I was like, I was just at a comedy show, and 
I went alone because I was having a rough week. And it's true. I um I had the shittiest week ever. Uh, one of my friends passed away last week, so it was it was super rough. But my favorite thing ever is comedy shows. I have the most fun. Like I I feel like going out to a comedy show is one of the most fun like nights out you could do. So I've figured. I invited a couple people. They all couldn't go because it was a Tuesday night. Everyone's working in the morning, and the show. The I went to the comedy store, and the shows are really fucking late. So, I, <laughs> I pull up alone. I get sat at a random table. Fucking Selena Gomez is like four feet away from me. Oh wow! And it's the comedy store, so it's like a two hundred person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like for. it's super were intimate. You, were you downstairs or upstairs? Downstairs, I think. Downstairs, the, okay. the I'm not sure. I, I don't even know there was two rooms. It's the main room. It was I saw. It's downstairs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, is the, is upstairs bigger? It's smaller. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I always thought it's like such a famous comedy venue. I figured it would be like a thousand people. Like. Yeah. No. The all those all those rooms in West Hollywood are. It's where like the comedians really... go to like try out their sets. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I saw I saw Andrew Santino. It was so fucking funny. And then the and then Darnell Williams from, uh, Chappelle Show. Like oh, you know, yeah. Ashley. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. He he came through. Uh, who else was there? The Sklar brothers, Jewish icons. There they're the go. they're the two twins that are in a bunch of movies that look way too identical. How long were the sets? Twenty twenty five minutes. Those are it's so. I feel like a comedy set. I love those like run throughs where it's like. It's quick as hell, and like if if someone's and... bombing, you f- you know that they're about to get the fuck off stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. It does suck though when someone's absolutely mur- like I saw Sebastian Meniscalco there the other night, and I was so pissed that he ended his set. He was on such a hot streak. He was the best comedian of the night. Obviously, he was literally just telling stories from his day. Like he was just talking about shit that happened during his day. He's he told the crowd. He's like, I have nothing funny to say. I'm <laughs> pissed off about all this shit day. that happened. Yeah, he's like, if you guys don't laugh, I do not give a fuck. Like I'm my special is in a stadium. There's a hundred people in this crowd right now, but. The the craziest part about that show is the the closer. I was about to leave. I was about to get up and walk out, but because I was in the fucking front row, I thought it would be rude to leave immediately. Sure, yeah. I was having that internal debate with myself. Like, I need to. I'm so tired. I need to go home. And I also am a fucking loser. I'm here alone. And so, <laughs> so he starts doing crowd work. And the first person he fucking looks at, I forgot the yeah. comedian. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. of course. I I forgot the comedian's name, but he was incredibly funny. He looks at me and goes, what do you do for a living? I instantly just, like, my heart sunk. I knew exactly where this was about to go. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like... Um, I'm a rapper. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I'm a rapper. He's like, I don't even have to say a fucking joke. Like, he, he's like, the jokes just write themselves for... At, at that point, like, what kind of rap do you make? I'm like, some jazzy boom bap shit. He's like... Oh, so you're you're one of those nerdy rappers, and he just like I can't recite any of his bits. I'm not funny, but he goes on and on for literally thirty Roast minutes. You for a Yo, bit. Yeah, yeah. roasting the fuck out of me, does not stop. Every time he'd, he like he had an actual set, and he'd occasionally do some crowd work in between. Any time he talked to anyone else, it, he'd call back to me instantly. He'd ask this girl who her favorite artist was, and she was like Jack Harlow, and <laughs> he looks at me and goes. Oh, that's probably what this kid's trying to be right now. <laughs> uh, he's also like, you look super racially ambiguous. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? 
<laughs> do I? <laughs> but I was like, that is that a real human statement? I, I couldn't comprehend what he just said. But everyone was losing their shit. I thought it was hilarious, but I was also so fucking embarrassed. He asked <laughs> me what my SoundCloud was. That's when you go up and do a verse, dude. Nah, hell Take no. Over the- <laughs> no one goes to a comedy show to see if a white rapper spit their actual songs. There you go. <laughs> I'd just be getting laughs. <laughs> but it was uh it was just the craziest thing. I literally was alone too, so it made it so much fucking worse. Like I wish yeah. I had a friend there to laugh at the show with me, but I was on my on my lonesome and how often are you gonna like, you know, like gonna push I feel like when you push the boundaries of like human experience like that, like you're probably not gonna be embarrassed for a while. No, <laughs> no, like I that, you know, like you're like I told myself when I got out here that I want to start doing stuff alone because yeah, you, give, you give a fuck less of it if you can. I don't want yeah. Run in a situation. Like I don't that. give a fuck like, about anything when I'm alone. I just like I, I literally just sat in that audience. I, I keep saying literally. That's like my literally my 90th time saying yeah. literally. But I was in the audience just drinking some old fashions, just getting fucked up, having a great night laughing at comedians. You should have hit me up, dude. I would have cruised out. Yeah, too. no, I I. I wanted to go alone that night. That's the thing. Like I, all day I was just like, I need to, I need like a break from everything. So I just went to the comedy show and it worked. I felt so, I mean, I felt horrible about myself, but I also felt amazing. Like it was just such a good night. (laughs) Andrew Santino's funny as hell. Such a good live comedian. I remember one night I was there with uh, some buddies and uh, we were, I think we're at the Laugh Room, I want to say. Laugh Factory, like right next door? Yeah, Laugh Factory, yeah. It's on that street, right? Yeah, we were at Laugh Factory, and it was kind of like this, like, same kind of like 20-minute quick sets. It wasn't a particular show or anything. And we're, like, sitting down, and I was with some friend, and uh, Wanda Sykes, like, goes in and sits down next to us. And my buddy goes up to her, and he's like, he's like, that's Wanda Sykes. I was like, oh, no way. Like, I used to watch her all of her fucking... She's still all of her so stuff relevant. Like, Central, I fucking like, love her on Curb. And so my buddy goes up to her, and he's like, I'm going to go talk to her. He goes, and he's like, you should, you know, do a set while you're here. And, the, and she looks at him, and she says, what, why do you think? That's why I'm here. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and she went up, and, and she killed it. She did fucking, she, did yeah. she mention that? She, like, closed out the night. She, she did it. No, like, no, no. That was like, so funny. <laughs> it was yeah. I I love those intimate venues though because I saw I'm I'm the biggest comedy fan. I listen to like comedy podcast. Hundred cap in those. Rooms. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not less the artists that. that perform go right back into the crowd after too. So I went to see Sebastian Meniscalco, Anthony Jeselnik, who else played? Mark Marin, who also played the night I went. Oh, he go. crushed. He was so good. Um, Montez from Workaholics, Eric, Eric Griffin. Oh, there we go. Yo, okay. I oh thought, shit! And I, I was really starstruck. He did a set. He did a set. He's a okay. he's um he has a residency there. He's like there all the time. Uh, so after the show, I'm just I, I went with uh, Cole, my roommate. He was in a previous episode. Just for anyone who doesn't know, why I keep mentioning this random name. I went with Cole to the comedy store and two of our other friends, and it was incredible. But every comedian that performed, we were sitting in like this corner booth in the back. Every comedian just sat right next to us, like right after their sets. Well, so I, I talked to Mark Marin, I talked to Montez from Workaholics. I was like, "Yo, they're probably really nice in person oh, to you." Like, Mark Marin, no. no, Montez, okay. yes. <laughs> okay, but Mark Marin, I understand. Yeah, his yeah, his yeah. podcast is just about how stupid everyone he ever meets is, 
and he shits on just everyone with his guest. So I, I don't think he, I think he's like Earl Sweatshirt where he just doesn't like going outside. Yeah, there you go. But yeah. I, I dapped up Montez. I'm like, yo, Eric, that was amazing. You killed it. I'm such a big fan. I, I want you in more stuff. Uh, he was so nice. Couldn't be nicer. Uh, we had like a 30 second conversation, but I, just from that, I was able to get, like, he wanted to get the fuck out of there as artists or I guess comedians do after they get off stage. He, yeah, we, we talked, he was so nice. So thankful. I recognized him and then he dipped. Mark Marin was walking by me after his set and I go, yo, Mark. And he's like a legend. He's, he's fucking huge. I was like, Mark, you, you killed it. He's like, thanks. Just kept walking. Like, didn't even, didn't even turn his head to look at me. He just, (laughs) he just kept like speed walking out. Didn't want anyone to talk to him. He was just ready to get the fuck out. I thought that was hilarious though. I, I hope to get to a level one day where I don't feel like I need to say hi to anyone. I could just sure, yeah, yeah. tunnel vision the exit and just just dip. Yeah. And I think if you're like that to be a comedian, you have to be really fucking funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you have to have that mind for that of, like, your purpose here is to make people fucking laugh and people see the irony and the, it's and the such funny a crazy shit art in the day-to-day, you know, like, um, and I think about that, too, you know, as, as musicians or, like, you know, writing songs or making beats or whatever, da 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 but they, like, comedians have to write jokes, you know? I think yeah. there are, like, guys like that that can just spitball and be hilarious of course and that's it. what sebastian and, and that's did. also part of it but also there are those like timeless jokes that like you know like comedians like I, and i just picture them like on a freaking lawn chair or whatever or <laughs> a rocking chair just writing on their chair but like it's where crazy. does that shit come from other than just living it you they, know yeah that's what they do they experience something funny or they something comes to them and they write in their notes app just like i would writing a bar i at the comedy store because it's literally a venue. Oh my god, I can't fucking stop saying literally. Literally. Well, if it was literal, who would know if it's actually real? Okay, know? so seriously. 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 I, <laughs> at the comedy store, that's where every venue or every comedian comes to practice shit for their specials and for their tours. So it's them just trying shit that they've never done in front of an audience before. And sometimes they absolutely hit it out of the park. Then you'll hear that joke on Netflix a couple months later. Yeah, yeah. Mo- more times than often, the, the comedian gets no laughs and they bomb. And before they get off stage, they go... The drawing board. Yeah, 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 of course. But they they know when they bomb. It's a common thing to bomb at one of those small venues because you're just... You're fucking around. But the comedian will get off stage and be like, yeah, thank you guys so much for losing your shit after every single one of my jokes. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I know I'm hilarious. The the guy be, that was on stage right as I walked in, it, he was on his last joke. It was the worst joke I've ever heard in my entire life. He basically was like, "You ever stop at a red light and then there's a car next to you and you don't know if you should make eye contact with the person next to you?" No one laughs and he goes, he was obviously waiting for a laugh. He goes, "What's up with that? Like that happens a lot to me here." <laughs> so sometimes you speed up and they keep up with you and like you keep making eye contact he's like what why is that why does that happen he's like okay that's my time thank you guys so much that's what you that's what you call a big closer everyone like that was the audience lost their shit when he was like that's what you call a big closer right there that's the last joke of the set because 
I didn't hear a single chuckle. Like you could have heard someone like shuffle their foot. Right. And I think the thing that I've I've heard is comedians that have bombed have learned more from the bomb bombing sets. Of course. Than like the shows where they're, you know. The, same, I, I'm sure live shows for you, right? For I, like for it's, myself. It's a learning curve. Well. It's like yeah, the more like I play I feel like some of the live shows that I play the shittiest, I learn more about that show than I did others, you know. I just did a show for like twelve people because it was the night or no my was this back in L A yeah this is back was, in L A okay it was the I show. almost made it out but I wasn't I was in Yo, Vegas it was fun as hell like I was driving back from Vegas Patsu Matt Watson and Patsu's partner Connor uh and Dolo tonight, one of my other good friends out here. It was literally just my closest friends, and it was just them in the audience. Hell yeah! So I j- and it was a huge venue. So what, what happened was, was Catch One. Catch One. Okay. It was the underground room, and Nick Caution from Pro Era was supposed to headline, and he canceled. So I I had my sob show, and the day I had my sob show, Nick Caution canceled that show, and I knew I was gonna come back to LA and do that show. So I was like, "Fuck!" So what's what's happening now with that show? They were like, you're going to headline now. You're the headliner of the show. And then the day I heard that, my friend passed away. So I wasn't on my phone or social media. Didn't promote the show whatsoever. Um, day course, the, yeah, yeah, day of the show came, all I did was post on my Instagram story. Like, yo, I'm playing tonight. Come through. Like, I did not promote this whatsoever. Yeah. I went into it knowing the show was already fucked because the headliner canceled. Uh, they booked so many openers too. So it was like nine people and then me at like 1 a.m. Fuck that. There's so, so many gigs like that yeah. in LA too. Like. But yeah, it, I learned a lot from that show because I went really fucking hard. I'll just, it was yeah, just yeah. my friends in the crowd. Yeah. I, I had no nerves. I was just like having fun on stage. I thought it was one of my best performances. And it was oh, epic. Yeah. just for my uh, closest friends out here. And... They had a great fucking time, too. We all have a great time. We had a great story. We got great Korean food before that. I feel like, too, when you have a crowd like that, like, if it's all your best, your, like, really close friends, you know, it's it's so much easier as opposed to, like, a, a, a setting in which it's all these new impressions of, like, yep. someone that's maybe never seen you before or never even knows That's my comedy story. That's, like, how I would perfectly describe it and relate it. I, I went from, so, SOBs, we, me and Matt Watson co-headlined SOBs. Uh, How was that show? Oh my god, it was super fun. It was surreal because I used to email the booking agent at SOBs when I was in ninth grade. Like, please, please let me fucking open. Like, I'll open for anyone. People want you to play your your hometown too. More after you leave. Yeah, yeah. I lost money on that show because (laughs) because of how expensive the fucking travel was. But um, it was surreal as hell. I um, we sold so many tickets too. We, I think we were. That venue is like a three fifty cap. I think we had like two hundred fifty people there. Oh yeah. Um, and it was what part of New York is it in? Uh, Lower East Side, I think. Lower East Side. I, I could be wrong. Uh, maybe it might be in the Village, but it's a super famous venue, and I, I saw videos of Kanye playing there when I was in high school, and Earl Sweatshirt and Mac Miller. Oh yeah. And I that was the moment I think that was like their turning points in their career, so. I just felt like I was in that position when I was on stage there. We we had an amazing crowd with amazing energy. I had my first mosh pit. 
shit. It was so funny, go. too, because I I played, like, I, I knew the chillest song was coming on. So I was like, open the fucking pits. Yeah, there you go. Like, make a circle. <laughs> and that. the chillest fucking low fi song yeah, comes yeah, on. Yeah. And then everyone just starts moshing to the... And I love that. Everyone had so much fun doing it. One of my friends got hurt, which is awesome to me. And I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> but nah, it was that was amazing. It was so worth going home for. It was just the contrast from that to the LA show. Yeah. It was just weird. It was like nothing you could do about it. No, I'm just always appreciative for any time I could get on stage. But well, it's an energy on the topic shift. of being like selective about the kind of things that you want to do, you definitely have to have that in this town, you know, like I get asked to do and th- this happened with us. My manager told me I have to stop saying yes to everything people ask me because once I do something for myself, I'm going to need to get all those people that already saw me again out. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like like I said, I'm always down to pop out and do some songs if I'm available. But uh, I can't, like, promote shit because my manager will be when, like, nah. Yeah, and when you become a touring artist and markets and da, 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 that all comes into play, like... I never... Dude, there's so many politics that... You don't think about... It makes know, sense, yeah. too. Like, they're... I, I hate it, but it's just a natural thing that's always been applied to just music and labels in general. Um, I don't know. I I want to get on stage every single week. That's my goal. But I also want to sell out an LA venue. Like, you know, once I have a headliner, I want every single person that knows me to pop out, all my fans to pop out. It's like weird. Um, it, like, I don't know. If if this was like tenth grade, eleventh grade me, I'd be doing a show like four times a week. Yeah, but yeah, you just can't say yes to everything, though. You know what I mean? I know. Um, Sorry, I, I definitely you. cut you no, off. No, I feel you. I mean, that's where I come from. Like, is the doing like live band stuff. That is where I started with music, and I think live music. It's funny as like a producer and a writer, like the cool things that have happened in my career. To me, none of it really seems as real until you get on stage and do it. You know what I mean? So, um, and I'm like, uh, we were talking about this. I'm starting like a, a live lo-fi band for like the urchin stuff. Um, we're definitely doing a song together, by the way. We have to we do We have to. So, so like I have a live drummer. I'm triggering the kick and snare of each like song that we do. And then I'm running the tracks on a 404. So oh, I'm gonna be so, so I can sick. so it's essentially like so is everyone going in through the four hundred four or you're just triggering like anything you could control on that end? Anything that we're not playing is going through the four hundred four. Gotcha. So I'm also playing bass, and then I have a, a friend playing guitar and doing like samples, which we'll like pick and choose. Um, but I feel like like the four hundred four is such a huge part of like as least as a producer performing live right in the yeah. lo-fi space like. And so that's something I knew I wanted to do, but I come from this band background and I was like, how can I morph the two? Um, and I've been doing all these like 404 sets and uh, the occasional DJ set and stuff like that. And I've been like suit enjoying that a ton. And, and I think like, I think the main thing I'm trying to say is like, once I bring it to the stage and like bring these like arrangements or songs or whatever they are, um, they have so much more life to them than before because you're like living and breathing it on the stage anyone can put out music on the internet and whatever and it can blow up i think for me though like i've noticed 
once I like put it out, then it feels like I'm living the music a little more. And like, 100%. you know, or like you, maybe you have a record or like an era of your music that when you play it out, like it feels like way different. Um, and like brings up certain memories and stuff like that. I don't know, but it's it, live music also at the same time is like consumed very differently than recorded music, you know? And I think a lot of, you gotta um, have a, a plan when you get on stage, like, you got to put on a show that's just goes beyond just playing songs. Like you have to engage the audience. It's, it's a whole nother skill set than just being a musician. Oh, yeah. Totally. And there's no way of knowing, you know, when you're listening through studio monitors or whatever it is you're working on, like you're not thinking like, what is that going to sound like at a club? And who's going to be, I started thinking that? about that since I started playing bigger shows. I, I'm making specific songs just to perform because I want, certain moments in my show to hit different because oh, totally. yeah, uh, yeah. i you know i make a lot of chill music so the shows are after a while of doing like five six lo-fi songs in a row you need to get everyone fucking jumping you need to get yeah, people's yeah, hearts like pounding banker. and like the yeah. way dj sets and you know raves work is the the djs are really scientific with like bpm and how you're like how you're raising people's blood pressure different ways i just started thinking more about like the show should have a beginning, middle, end, a climax, introduction, resolution. And I never thought of it as more like a, it, it is like a play or like a story. Like you want it's to a different way to experience. Yeah, exactly. Music, you know, and, and like it, now like everything's really coming back. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, this has been a long haul of this, but like, you know, festival seasons around us and Coachella and all these different festivals are like happening, happening. And, um, it's it's so different and it, and it adds so much more value to like something that might just be like internet famous or like you know people are streaming a lot of people are internet famous but can't sell a single ticket yeah, to their another shows. huge thing another yeah. huge thing yeah like it's it's weird it's you know you're you have these punk bands that like have no presence on Spotify or whatever but when <laughs> they play their yep. markets you know like they're gonna sell it out because they like have that and that's always been a thing too like yeah. there was. There, that always existed before social media was a thing. People just knew bands and talked yeah. about it with yeah. real humans. Yeah. <laughs> then those, those said humans would mixed go out tapes. to the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All my favorite artists ever popped off off of mixtapes. Uh, rap artists. Like, uh, um, Can I, I'm going to pee really quick. Can I pause and run to the bathroom? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's the white claws. Yeah, dude, you... What are you on your third? I uh, I think I killed him, dude. Oh, legend. All right, we're back. Commercial we're back. break is over. Um, bathroom break. We're, uh, for those of you who don't know, we're drinking white. This event is sponsored by White Claw. <laughs> We're drinking White Claw today. Not actually sponsored, sponsored by, by White Claw and Invermectin. <laughs> so we're Horse sipping on some shit. beverages of White Claw Surge. Pretty um, fire, right? They're but Ben, I have a question for you. I yeah. asked this to my friend. If you, the other day I was talking to my friend, I was like, if you could do anything in any genre of a project or something that no one knows, like what would it be? And so I'll say what I would do. Like I write a lot of really chill, like, lo-fi music and and 
and even in other spaces, like I tend to go to more relaxed music. But what I really want is I want to be a screamer in like a hardcore band. Do you have a good screamo voice? No, I don't. I used to. Uh, I feel like you have to be born with that, though. No. I, uh, I used to watch YouTube videos and try and teach myself. Wait, you kind of have to have like this, just this de- demeanor, or you just have to have this like ability to just like. If you think you could scream, you could scream. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know what I mean. It's crazy. I, it's so much to do with like your diaphragm and. I'm like, fascinated by it because so many fucking people do that. I'll perform a lo-fi song for four minutes recording and I'll lose my voice. Like how the yeah. fuck? Yeah, I have some buddies in hardcore bands that have explained to me before that like would tour every night and they would be screaming every night and they said. The screaming, like, wasn't what killed their voice. It was, like, the verses and shit that they would sing like that. They would lose their voice faster from that. Because if you do screaming, like, right. It comes from your You know, and if you're, yeah, if you're really, like, using your breath to support the scream, like, it's very, it's, you know, if it's done properly, it's, like, a little damage on the voice. But, so, for you, if you could do anything in a musical project, that no one would know. Maybe it's playing keyboard in 80s cover band. I have you a know? musical project that no one knows it's me. And I it's know, and we don't want to leak any names. Yeah, we don't yeah, want to leak. But nothing. like, if you had like one thing that you want to do that that is like so different, because everyone has that, you know? Like, I want to... So, one of my favorite artists of all time, I, two actually that I, I could say, uh, Elliot Smith is... Easily one of my biggest influences with songwriting and also the way I record my vocals. I was so drawn by his overdubbing and layering where all his songs, he just did two layers of his vocals, like two distinct layers. Yeah. So you hear all these little imperfections. He's, in an L- he's a very much L.A. prominent artist. Too. Oh, my like, God. Yeah. Silver Lake. His mural murals are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a he's a genius. Alameda Street. over yep. Yeah. On like, Sunset. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like one of those artists that. Everything he fucking said was poetry. Didn't matter what song, what he was talking about. It all seemed like so methodical and so perfectly written. So I got a lot of my songwriting influence from him. Same with Lil Peep, which is a weird like line to draw between them. But the way they write their songs, the simplicity, like the beauty in the simplicity, like making the most out of the minimum, that's what I get from both of them. And uh, kind of what we were saying before, doing stuff with character as opposed to the stuff that like sounds the best i think like at our session we were talking about how little peep like tracked all of his vocals just like a vocal mic into the focus right no yeah. preamps nothing at all you know like, it, that that's exactly how like, i started too it was it was all just the shittiest equipment ever in a room with a bunch of people that i was friends with and every song became just a great memory because i remember exactly how i recorded that shit Every song I record now is in the same exact position at my desk in the same exact setup. Sure, yeah. So it, these moments get lost in the mix so easily. I don't remember how I recorded my whole last album. Um, actually, I do. I was, it, it was like that with my desk, but I was in my parents' basement just banging out tracks Perfect every day. Place to write an album. COVID just started. I was like, I'm gonna lock in. But uh, did you write? So did you write a lot of music over quarantine? And stuff like that? So much. I got. I was the most productive I've ever been over quarantine because I graduated college right into oh, quarantine. Yeah. I was a senior, and then I let, I had to leave school early because the pandemic started. Uh, so I like missed graduation and everything. I graduated, but I didn't get like a ceremony or whatever. 
not complaining because those shits are boring as hell. I my my parents were pissed. They really wanted to see me in a cap and gown, and I came home with tattoos and pink hair instead. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, th- uh, it, it was like. I'm either getting a job right now so I could move out eventually or I pursue this full time and make my best music ever. And I said, I'm not getting a fucking job. There's no way in hell. Oh, I'll never have a job again in my life. I'm you like, can't. I'll forbid I'm you. Like, <laughs> I'm not, I don't, yeah, I don't think that. I tried him out for a long time. <laughs> it's not fun when someone's giving you orders. I have a, I have a complex where... I don't like when people tell me to do shit. Or and also like where your energy, like the great the greater purpose of where your energy is like ending, like ending, you know? Like when yeah. you, when you work for when you go corporate and you work for the man, like <laughs> you have no purpose because you're just literally This is a punk podcast by the way. Yeah, this is super vegan punk podcast. Uh <laughs> I had a corporate job when I first moved to LA. What you do? I was a uh, a web so was a web developer for a, a charter school company, and Sick. I like saved up a little money, moved to LA, like was going out like way too much, uh, and then I was like, oh, I have no more money. <laughs> I was like, shit, I have to get a job. You know, I knew I came here to do music stuff, and um, I worked a job for a little bit, and, and uh, I just smoked weed every day. It was like a corporate job. I just hit the weed pen on the way there bathroom breaks that was the only way i could do it but like it was so amazing like interesting to me and they're all really nice sweet people but that they were so fine with just like yep this is like every day for the next however many years and then i'm gonna save up this much and then i'm gonna you know i understand the hustle for sure like you do what you gotta do you gotta be able to you have to be able to make risks and if everyone was like i'm not working for someone else then we'd have Nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone exactly. would be trading and bartering still. That's true. But yeah, I fuck that. I I just like I'm not good at anything but music. I know that's super self deprecating, but one of the most true statements ever. I'm really good at watching a lot TV. Of artists feel that way. I've heard you were talking about Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl like made a statement about that. Someone asked him like, "What do you think about?" It? He's like, "It's like, what do you think about?" exploring a career in music and why did you do it? And he was like, it's the only thing I was good at. Like I'm good at, I was a great athlete. I'm really good at basketball. I'm really good at soccer. What the fuck am I going to do in those fields? Like, I don't think anyone is in like fourth grade and is like, I'm really good at doing bank ledgers. I, I really like, yeah. <laughs> investing you know? is fucking uh-huh. sick. Like, nah, it, I, I mean, love filing people's taxes. Yeah. That's just really, but I mean, props <laughs> to the people that can do that, right? That's no, know. no, it's a hundred percent. And like, there are their own fucking rock stars. There are people that love it for right. sure, but I feel like everyone has dreams. Yeah, and and where the John Lennons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am fucking the same as John Lennon. Same skill level. We're, this is a quote. <laughs> you can quote us here. Oh wait, but that that reminded me. I I didn't even answer your question fully. Um. The ideal secret Ben Beal persona that I wish would blow up would definitely be some songwriting shit, super super minimalistic, like Ben Folds, Elliot Smith. Yeah, nice. Yeah, okay. Yeah, just like uh, you and acoustic guitar. Yeah. Cause you I, listen to? Do you ever get into Bright Eyes? No. Oh, check out Bright, Bright Eyes. Bright Eyes. I've heard the name. I've heard the name, it's but Connor I. Oberst. It's it's like. Uh, I don't want to say he, he's like the Elliot Smith like 
20 years later or 10, <laughs> 15 years later. But he has old school Elliott Smith vibes. Just an insane songwriter that could do so much with an acoustic guitar and like some words, you know? So sick. And then everything else, like all the other part of those records, like they're just, they just add to it. So, um, um one of my friend's partners is, uh, yeah, his partner's name is David Carpet Garden. So fucking talented. Uh, their biggest song is just them singing over a ukulele melody, and it's so beautiful. It's hell yeah. And I, I have a lot of faith in my songwriting abilities. I could write crazy melodies. When I sing and don't rap, everyone always tells me to sing more. Oh, Ra- really? Rapping is like actually my passion, so I'm always gonna be rapping. But people like when I sing, and especially when I record it like Elliot Smith with that little overdub, like the little peep stacked layers. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. I have a secret kind of like emo rap project that I always make songs for when I'm at my lowest, when I'm just like not feeling great about myself. It's a great outlet. It makes me feel good, but it's, I wouldn't want anyone it's great to know to it's have, me. Yeah, that, it's great to have that like Yeah. when you have this vibe. Yeah, I think the Braj Mahal stuff is like that for me to some degree. It's not secret by any means, but it's like... It's a different. It's a different outlet for you. It's, it's a like very a different, different approach to the music, and it's also uh, like has this like um, love for just those like small trying to find these moments in music, these like little glimpses and like capturing them, like kind of like photography or. It like, does feel like that when I listen to it. Yeah. And right now, no wonder is going to be playing in the background. So just like there we go, yeah, yeah. little moment there of silence go. to hear what Max Birdhouse is talking release. about. Check it out on Birdhouse Records. Ten second moment of silence to listen to. No wonder. <laughs> so fucking good. Uh, but yeah, um, that it's it's my favorite. Just exploring different sounds like that. I I make shit knowing like I can't drop this as Ben Beale, but maybe I should start thinking. Who the fuck cares? I'm Ben Beale. Like whatever I drop is gonna be me. There you go. That I mean, that's the other artist thing too. Is like starting to bend what people like expect from you, I guess, a little bit. Because I think the main thing I I've always noticed in the artist world is you're always the most excited about the most recent thing you're like finishing or you <laughs> yeah. know or like committing to finish and and you know like putting energy towards like. Um, I feel like it's so natural, you know, and that's always been the case when I was in bands or doing other things is like, like, Oh, like what's your favorite thing? You know, well, the newest thing that we just finished. Right. And that's kind of a part of being an artist. And I definitely think it we're past that time of like finishing that record you think is like the best thing in the world and just sitting on it. Like I think when music needs to come out, at least to some degree, like a close proximity of when it was finished because that's when you as the artist are going to be the most excited about it. Of course that gets difficult when there's deals or you're waiting on different things or da 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 da, and you're like dealing with industry shit. But I've noticed more often not than not, like as an artist, it feels really good to put out something that you just finished that you really fucking like. hundred percent. You know, so I'm, I'm actually trying to, I was having this issue where I was like finishing too much shit and not making any plans to release anything. And now like I'm trying to get to a point where I'm like finishing stuff and then, and then watching to have it come out. Cause then at that point you're going to be more excited about like how you present it to the world and 
you're going to have more ideas. And, and in this age, I feel like that's super important. It so. really is. I just, uh, I want to express myself in any way I can. Some shit I want to make just so I could have and listen to when I need to listen to it. Other shit I need other people to hear. Because yeah. my favorite part about music is that there are people that are going to relate to it. Like, I, I want people to feel the same exact shit I'm feeling when I write my songs. That's just the best feeling ever when I'll get an Instagram DM from someone like, I listened to Bicycle Thief, and I was going through a lot at the time, and it gave me, like, an escape from that. I felt completely better about myself. I just felt like I was in a different world. That's what I'm trying to create. Yeah. That's why yeah. I want to make cartoons, too. Yeah. Oh, cartoons. There we go. Yeah, I want to. I want to like make a cartoon, like Multi-platform, a Multi-platform, Ben. That's that's always been my dream. I talk about it all the time with everyone I talk to. It's just like you have a cartoons album too. So yeah, cartoons. That was me hoping Adult Swim saw <laughs> that go. I have an album called Cartoons, so <laughs> that when I insane. Al- how long? <laughs> how long did that? Because it's it's you and and Elijah on each like doing each track. How yeah. how long did that? record take for you guys to finish it start to finish cartoons was my quarantine baby it was like the second i got into quarantine and everyone was just stuck inside i started working on it i in total it probably took us about a full year but it felt really quick because time was moving by really fast oh, yeah, yeah. and me and elijah made four albums worth of songs and just narrowed it down to cartoons. There we go. Yeah. And now we have we're listening to songs back that we made during that Re- time. And remotely, right? Or did you remotely? Like, yeah. Dude, Where is he based? Elijah's like one of my best friends in music right now, and I've never met him. He he's based in Portland currently, but when we started working on cartoons, he just left China. He oh, wow. he was living in China for a minute in Shanghai, and then he moved to Australia because of a visa issue once the regulation started upping and then yeah now we moved back to portland wow so now he's here you'll definitely meet him when he comes through the west coast you guys would or not west coast when he comes to la i love to yeah yeah you guys would definitely fuck with each other what do you what do you think um on like remote sessions as opposed to like in persons I don't even have remote sessions. He just sent me beats. Right, right. Or that, that too, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, right. Like, where you get sent something and you take a pass at it and to like, be honest, do your thing and then send it back. I'll always prefer, like, if, if I had a choice, I'd always prefer to just get a beat pack and then send options back. Cause then I could work on my own time. It could take me like two days yeah. rather than try to right. force everything in one session. But since I moved out here, I've been having so many good sessions that m- make me question. Whether it's just like it could be a moment thing, like sure. whatever I'm feeling at the current moment in time. There's no way of knowing. Like too. me and you had a session and we made great fucking shit. Like we made. Yeah, that went really fast and too. It, like the chemistry was there instantly. Like the you play the beat, song was made. Like, You're like, oh, I would, I want to do this one. Yeah, I think that's a big thing too. With like, if in persons, what in person sessions, I love to show up with a couple things prepared, and I love when I show up to sessions too, and and someone has something prepared to like start with. And like play me a couple things, and then I'm like, okay, this is the one. Let's go. And then that for and you know it. Once you pick that song, you know you need to do that song in that session right then. Exactly. You know, so it, I mean, the way that my process is with picking beats and you know my beat selection, choosing what songs I want to make, I have to like get hit hard by the beat. Like I have to feel some shit. Yeah. yeah. I know it instantly the second I hear something that like the wheels in my head start turning. 
I I know so many other. I remember you you said to me I was like playing beats here. You're like, oh yeah, I'd murder this one. Yep, I'd murder. <laughs> and you did, yeah. Because like, I I started like, something just like clicks in my head. I don't. I know so many artists that are like, they'll do a stank face when the the right beat comes on. They'll just like crinkle their face up like, woo. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, <laughs> like they don't. They're not saying woo, but. Yeah, you yeah. can see it on their fucking face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when you know instantly. Um, some artists will literally jump across the room the second the beats play. Go, oh my fucking god! It's little flamboyant. Um, some artists will be like, instantly, just like yes, yeah, like yeah, let's do it. That's that's me. I just yeah, yeah, I yeah. know instantly the second I hear a beat. Um, and nine times out of ten, I end up recording on that beat. Yeah. As you should, yeah. Like, like it becomes a song. It's not just yeah, something yeah. That, like a passive moment. Um, but yeah, that I I definitely prefer just being alone when I record music. Just just because there's no pressure, I could kind of break at any point. Me too. I I I think uh, I've been really. I, but it, then again, it's also kind of comes to that like you just never know. And so I think you just got to mix it up. I think I I love doing these like. And I think it might very much have to be in a headspace, but I call them flips in essence on lo-fi yeah. where like um, in some instance, it'll be a remix. In some instance, it'll be like a vocalist that had just has like the, the, the rest of the urchin EP coming out. It's called murmurs. A lot of these songs were, were, were lo-fi songs written around just a vocal and a guitar stem or like, just a vocal stem or just a vocal and key stem or whatever. And um, I do really like the idea of a flip of where you're in that zone. There are no expectations and you're like, go in and, and, and take an alternate perspective as, as to someone that like started an idea. Um, but also at the same time, I feel like when I start to do a lot of those, where I'm like constantly just flipping stuff, like I start to know what I'm gonna get more, and that makes me a little more bored because I know like, oh, if I'm just doing the same process on this, like you want some random profound shit to happen. Yeah, like like or there's like you know like there's all these aspects and moments of music that can be found when you get taken out of that element. So I think constantly switching it up has been really helpful for me. Or um there'll be an in-person, there'll be a Zoom, there'll be a situation where I just get sent stems. Like, uh, that always keeps it fresh for me. Right. And I've been surprised, too. I've had some in-sessions where I'm, like, very much, like, like didn't have any expectation. And it had ended up being, like, you know, one of, like, more successful releases or something like that. And, um, uh, but I definitely do think, like, going into a situation with a lot of stuff prepared is like a new future of, of music. Um, because it just, it gives you so much leverage and stuff to work with. Without a doubt. I, I just like so, so many people, especially here. The second you talk to anyone about music, <laughs> the first thing they say is we let's, let's do a session. And then you could be drunk at a club or out and without fail, you'll get that text the next day. <laughs> Sorry. You'll get you'll get that text the next day, just like, "Yo, it's me from last night." Like, uh, you said, "Let's have a session." Like, let's do it. I'll be there in twenty. Yeah, like <laughs> I'm I'm, out, I'm outside your house like, in the whip. Oh shit! 
but yeah, that that's inevitable. Um, maybe I should just be more open minded. I don't know. Could be a me thing. Well, uh, I'm curious when you when you have a Ben Beal session and and a producer shows up, do you like how often are you building stuff from scratch in the session? Because I would love to do that sometime with you, or we do something start to finish. That'd be fun as hell. Yeah. And I could show you like the vibe, and uh, I've been really hyped on Tracklib recently. Tracklib's fire because I love sampling, and and it makes it if those of you don't know the Tracklib platform, it's kind of like splice but it's more of these records that um I, I what i would assume is these artists held their their rights enough to be able to sign it off to this company and you as a producer that's looking for performances like i want to sample like a jazz band right now and not like a splice sample like stereotypical jazz line you want to go no i want to find a bo- uh, like a bossa nova act from 1973 that it's, happens it's to have this so record lit. up and it's some there's some there's so many gems on the platform and um, I yeah I I think sampling is a huge part of the lo-fi thing and that that's been a game changer for me recently. But we should do something where I'll pull up like a couple track lib samples and like make something and just run with it. Yeah. Also, we're we're in my studio right now. There's every single instrument imaginable <laughs> around us. So yeah, I know you play bass. Uh, I play guitar. I could figure out keys if if needed but i know you're you have that unlocked i want to see the ben beale elliot smith set which is you and acoustic guitar let's do some shit o- open mic night hotel cafe yo i'd fucking or, love or to. full set who knows you know hotel cafe would be that's I, that like I, I feel like of all la venues that's kind of like the acoustic songwriter like that was uh, mac miller's song. last show ever was it oh yeah. wow okay it was, it, it was him performing swimming there i think yeah i think i saw with the live band the, yeah. the clip of it yeah yeah which is crazy because it's such a small little club it was too. that's his comedy store yeah i mean yeah it's legendary too like everyone's been there but yo it's uh it's getting pretty late it is getting I, late. I, I know i'm taking a lot of your time but uh before gonna we go, go watch batman tonight right oh yeah right. i'm i'm about to uh go to the the chinese theater to see my guy over Robbie hollywood yeah. yeah okay there you go yeah i fucking love it there i just love seeing like highly anticipated movies there because the audience cheers. Yeah. So it's sick. amazing. I saw Spider-Man there. It's Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. The amazing yo, theater. Be, before we go, um, let's hear, let's hear what you got coming and give some plugs to what you have out. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the urchin project is my baby for this year and I'm like super excited about it. Uh, I have an EP, with acrylic label coming in May. Um, and I'm really changing the vibe of, of what I've done where I'm starting to integrate a lot of different songwriting elements and vocalists and people that I know. And, and it's been a new phase of music for me that I'm like super fucking excited about. And it's some of my best shit. And, uh, there's one single out right now. It's called Crescent. Um, we got the number one spot on Lo-Fi Beats, it's like crazy. pinned at the Dude, top. Seventy k a day, like well deserved. It's, it's getting the most like traction ever, and it feels really good because I was like, we were talking about this, like taking risks. You know, I felt like this was like kind of a risk, but it was something that I wanted to do, and it's fucking going well. And and so I'm making like a live band. We're we're gonna be playing around this month, and um, the next song's with Thomas Reed. Uh, amazing 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 vocalist uh based out in in nashville and uh that comes out march 18th 
So Fuck yeah. that's the next dude, thing to look Thomas. forward to. That's, that's going to be dope as hell. Yeah, he's the coolest dude, too. He's like the nicest fucking he was, guy. Uh, did you meet him when he was here? Uh, no, no, I met him when I was in Nashville for like the immediate set. Like, uh, he he was gonna play a showcase here, but then he got COVID. Yeah, yeah, he got sick. And he uh, was, he was at my place for like three days. He's he's a man. We got a bunch of shit done. Hell yeah, he's got such a such a voice, and he it lends so well to the genre of lo-fi music. And and he he's actually like his background's in folk music. Yeah, he was like a folk songwriter and like kind of fell into the world and and um yeah super talented guy and he like super artist driven too you know he he's very much about doing the independent thing and and like being intentional with what he wants to do and so it's really cool to work with someone like that yeah he's with the shit he's he's been out here for a minute but yo you're you're absolutely killing it right now it was so dope having you on the podcast (laughs) no problem man and uh, yeah, you should hear some music from us soon. I'll I'll keep everyone who listened posted. Uh, I suggest following him on all his socials. I'll be posting that in the description of the video. So peep that on Instagram. You're gonna tell me which one of your aliases you want because I could post all of them if you want. But uh, the only other one we <laughs> didn't mention is uh, the Floravita project, which is uh, which I I can't believe that's you because I was a it's big fan me of Floravita and Raúl Sotomayor, who he's based in Mexico City. I'm out here. That started remote, and I I I met him last year for the first time. Like, w- we met 15 minutes before we like played a DJ set in in uh, Mexico City. Like that was our first time meeting in person. But until that point, we just sent music back and forth and like a ton of calls so and stuff sick. like that. Um, but that's like my Latin lo-fi project with him. Um, and in which he's bringing like his massive, massive, massive experience in like the Latin world and an insanely prolific producer. Um, and I'm bringing the lo-fi to it. And so that's Hell the other yeah. one. Yeah. It's, it's so sick. That's, uh, I'm excited to hear new Flora Vita too. Cause that shit bumps. We got an album we're working on for this year. So Hell yeah. Well, everyone stay tuned for that. Uh, my new single paint smiles is out now dropped last night. Uh, I have a song coming out March 23rd with Patsu called Haunt Me. Oh, was this some of the shit you were playing me? Yeah. Oh my God, you yeah. guys are fucking done for. Yo, it's uh, it's my first Boston Nova record ever. Oh my God, it's fucking amazing. I, I can't be more excited. Literally. I've heard it. <laughs> I've heard it too. I've heard it. And it's, yeah, it's, I, I don't think I've heard anything else like it so because it, nothing exists like it it's bossa nova mixed with lo-fi mixed with rap it's fucking insane but yo thank you guys so much for tuning in uh this was a mad fun episode you know it's fun when we record this long without even fucking realizing yeah, yeah. but yeah i should have um this should be up tomorrow sure. and then Let's get yeah it out there this is probably going to be the one episode of the week there might be one sunday uh, but I had a cancellation, so there was supposed to be two, only one. But thank you guys so much. This was Burning Daylight, and I am Ben Beal. Mr. Ben Beal. <laughs>